Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto trading and investing to NFTs, decentralized finance, and so much more. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell financial products. This podcast is sponsored by CoinFlex, the home of crypto yield. Whether you're passively managing money or taking an actively managed approach, you can earn and trade crypto easily on CoinFlex, which sees over $2 billion in daily trading volume. CoinFlex is committed to making crypto derivatives yield accessible to everyone, whether you are investing hundreds or thousands of dollars and more. With a newly launched automated market-making product called AMM+, you can earn yield on crypto by providing liquidity into the futures markets. The AMM Plus is 10 times more capital efficient than other automated market makers and offers multiple collateral types so that you can earn more with less. Interested in learning more about CoinFlex and trying out the AMM Plus? Head over to coinflex.com slash AMM to get started and let the market work for you. Hi, Lizzie. Welcome to Crypto Unstacked. Hi, Leslie. Great to be here. Today, guys, we have Lucy Gosmerarian on the podcast. She is a dear friend. We met in Hong Kong, and now we're doing this podcast from Dubai. It's just been such an exciting journey to follow Lucy's story from banking to fintech to now crypto. And Lucy, it's been a ride seeing you start Token Bay Capital. Just so excited to dig into your story today. It certainly has been a, a great ride. I would say this is a highlight in my life. So excited to to share more about it. Great. Well, anyone who's heard your story knows that you found out about crypto in the mountains at Davos, but you've got quite the history working in finance and in fintech prior to joining the crypto world, right? So tell us a bit about your story prior to crypto. I'm sort of represent where TradFi meets crypto. So I spent sort of, you know, close to 16 years working in traditional finance. So I started with Schroders, which is an investment manager in the UK. And from Schroders joined Goldman. And that's really where I spent sort of the majority of my career and really cut my teeth in terms of learning about finance, learning about a fast paced environment. That was very exciting. I did join Goldman just before the great financial crisis. So that was pretty interesting time. You know, my, my pro rata bonus for 2017 was a cause for enormous celebration. I thought, you know, oh my goodness, all these riches that are going to come. And then the world of you know, appeared to fall apart from from 2008 onwards. And I don't think it it ever got back to those heady heights. But um, nonetheless, it was an incredible business and experience. I was on the asset management side of Goldman. So it was uh, looking after portfolios for central banks, sovereign wealth funds. And eventually, after almost six years there, I ended up running the product team on the fixed income side. So supporting all the um, institutional money in fixed income. But how does one go from studying modern history at Oxford into banking? That is a story to uncover, right? Because not a lot of people would make that sort of linear connection. I think it's a funny UK thing, to be honest. You know, we all sort of set about actually studying 
what we're interested in at university as opposed to anything that's going to equip us in any remote way for, for future jobs. <laughs> so I do think that's a quirk of the, the British education system. But I, I actually love that because really university and secondary education is about training your mind to apply yourself, to structure mm-hmm. your thoughts, to be able to learn new things. So really, you know, whether I'm learning about Christianization of the Roman Empire or I'm learning about fixed income markets, it's all about application. And, you know, you've got core skills that you can then relate to to any subjects, really. And so, um, hey, you know, it's about learning. So I learned a lot about finance, but primarily on the job, <laughs> which is, to be honest, in my view, the best way to, to learn anything is really by doing you know, reading textbooks, I don't think is is ever going to get you there. And, um, you know, I'm just thrilled that the UK supports that learning process. So you spend a number of years in banking, and then you find yourself in fintech. Let's talk about that chapter. Yeah. So after I left Goldman, I um, wanted to come back to Asia because I was uh, born and raised in Hong Kong. So Asia is very close to my heart. So I joined Credit Suisse in Singapore after Goldman and spent a few years there on the wealth management side, doing the investment portfolios for high net worth and family offices. That was a great experience, but it got to the point where compliance was stifling the business. You know, operating under the new regime post the great financial crisis was incredibly, incredibly restrictive. And it was impacting the client experience. You know, when I'm selling them bonds or I'm selling them direct equities and I'm asking them a billion questions that I have to fill in manually in an Excel spreadsheet, Every single bond I sell, they had to repeat the same thing back to me and I had to ask the same set of questions to experienced investors, right? And it's just, I mean, anyone can look in at that and go, yeah, you might be fulfilling the compliance requirements, but this is killing business. And I just could see that there was innovation happening in finance around me. Typically, these big institutions, they you know, incorporate innovation at a slower rate. And so I just didn't think they could move fast enough. So I wanted to get into fintech. But actually, what I found instead was sort of um, even more disruptive than fintech was was crypto. And that was uh, by pure chance. So I'll be forever grateful for for that. Well, you ended up becoming a leader in crypto, right? A thought leader for the space actually quite early on, right? This was 2018, 2019 or so, building out a division that didn't exist at most big companies. Let's just put it that way. And so talk to us about how that all got started and what you learned through that process of leading a very emerging team in this crazy crypto world. Yeah, I look back at the days and anyone that's been in crypto, you can see how fast it changes. I mean, I look back and I feel that it was a decade ago and actually it was sort of four years ago. But, you know, it goes back to the the theme that I brought up initially. It's about application and learning new things. And because crypto was so new and I joined right at the beginning of 2018 in, you know, crypto bear market, there was no course to take. There's no set of textbooks to read. You know, there's not even you couldn't even get experience from working at crypto in a bank. You know, the whole industry was so new that the only way you could learn about crypto was figuring it out yourself and being self-taught. And that really suited my style of, of learning because I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm a self-starter. I like to, to apply myself and, and learn things. And, you know, it, it's just a time where you could become a thought leader because, 
there were very few people that knew anything about crypto. It's so new and we're all learning together. So, you know, when PwC set up a crypto business, I arrive on the scene, they're like, yep, you know, well, you're perfect, your background, traditional finance, that sounds good, because there's no one with crypto experience that we can <laughs> bring in for the role, because those people don't exist. There is no crypto experience, really. So I joined the team, and because of my banking background, did, you know, become the token economics person, right, to help with those consulting assignments, to help clients think through their white paper, tokenomics, how to structure the whole token sale, what's legal, what's not, you know, making sure that even at that time, businesses went about raising capital or building a crypto business in line with regulations. Not that there was any regulatory framework, but giving guidance on best practice and kind of helping crypto businesses self-regulate, if you like, because that's really all you could do. And it was very much sort of educating regulators as well. And so PwC was a perfect business to help drive the industry forwards because typically PwC sits at the intersection of regulators and private businesses. So it was it was a great position to be in and um, a lot to be learned from, from all sides. But yes, self-taught. So when does the Davos story come in? Was that prior to you joining PwC? That was prior. So after Credit Suisse, I was looking for my exciting fintech role that I was going to pivot into. I did get to Davos in 2018 and with Oxford sent me there. So that was great because it meant that I had access to everything. And for anyone that's ever been to Davos, it's a kind of a, a bit of a free for all trying to get into all the different you know meetups and and talks and tents and there's a lot of passes and a lot of security as you can imagine because there's all these world leaders congregating in this tiny swiss village and so um, that was great because that gave me access and it was there that somebody said they are building a dedicated crypto unit in uh, pwc hong kong and i wanted to come back to hong kong and you have to give pwc hong kong enormous credit for that you know hong kong was the birthplace of so many you know, household crypto names today. So FTX, Crypto.com, BitMEX, they were all in Hong Kong. And so PwC saw that there was such a role to play in helping shape these businesses and, and making sure that they operated in, in a compliant way. And so they, they set up a dedicated unit. So that was perfect. I got to come back to Asia. I got to remain 100% working in crypto markets. It was the best thing I think that has ever happened to me. And about three years later... You're now starting a venture fund, an early stage venture fund. The natural question here, Lucy, is why go start a fund on your own instead of joining existing fund? I'm sure that would have been a lot easier. Tell us about why you decide to start Token Bay Capital. Yeah, you know, I do think all of us have that desire to start our own business. I think that that thought, it's it sort of resonates more with some people than others. But I think a lot of us have that sort of little small niggling thought in our mind, you know, it would be great to start my own business, whether you've thought that in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s and beyond, you know, I think I think a lot of us have thought that. Not that I was looking to start my own business. I was actually um, quite the opposite. I was wanting to get into the asset management side for, for crypto because I could see that the space was maturing to such a level that asset crypto asset managers were going to be the future. And now that it's a whole new asset class, asset management was going to be disrupted as an industry to incorporate it, both the technology, but also 
as an asset to invest in. Actually, I was approached by quite a few businesses. You know, crypto is on a major hiring spree. They've been on the crypto as an industry has been on a hiring spree for years. You know, I, you know, here's my advice. Anybody that's sort of thinking about doing something different, crypto is likely to welcome you if you've got skills to offer because it's so fast growing. Anyway, so um, a crypto business reached out to me and said, you know, listen, you've got a background in asset management with Goldman. You know, you've managed wealth um, at Credit Suisse. And can you build a whole new venture capital and asset management division? I was super excited about that. I thought, well, that makes utter sense. That's that's the role for me. So I wrote my business plan, put my thoughts down on paper, really hoped I'd get the job. And the next morning I woke up and loud and clear the message was start your own investment management firm. To this day, I don't know where that thought came from, but it was very, very strong. And I've just stayed true to that and followed through on that very clear message that I received. I love it. I wish everyone can have a moment like that. That's just so crystal clear. This is your next step. It's a really, really long path being a venture founder, right? Because you're responsible for so much more than, you know, your own career. You are a founder of a fund that is responsible for allocating in not just companies, but people at the companies and getting in at a very, very early stage in their success. What's exciting about focusing on early stage? So early stage investments, the main thing, given it's typically the founding team that's absolutely critical, you know, signs that they're going to execute and follow through and have that tenacity, but also um, the founding team. But more than anything with early stage, you have to understand the market because so many people don't understand and can't anticipate the trends. And that is why I went into early stage because I'm so familiar. You know, I've immersed myself 100% of my time, well, 150% of my time, um, given how much I dedicate to it all. You're so immersed in the space and you're so connected that you know what's coming up before others do. You know, crypto, actually the mainstream acceptance of crypto and actually what's happening in crypto don't match up. There's so much more innovation happening. And all of us in the space know that it's the future, but it takes a while for that message to kind of be relayed to the mainstream. So when you are looking at venture capital opportunities, you're investing in companies that you believe are going to be the future. And if you are going to be able to identify future success, you have to understand the market. And so for me, that's really um, the skill set I brought to the table is that I can see where they're headed. I've, I've seen crypto businesses at PwC that we were supporting and what the journey looks like. So I, I had experience of, of, of how it goes, right? And so I can have a lot more faith in a crypto startup than somebody that has no idea about crypto, even if they know how to back startups and, and founders from a very early stage. If they don't know crypto, it's going to be a big step, big leap. So Lucy, where's crypto headed? That's the big question. I think we all now know crypto is the future. And uh, I was talking to someone the other day and they said, you know, someone's moving into a you know crypto job, you know, from mainstream. I was like, everybody's going to be in crypto, whether they know it 
or like it in five to 10 years, right? We're all going to be in it because this is what I've maintained for so long. It's just a better way of doing things. And it's a technology and it can be applied in many different ways, but it's a better way of doing things and therefore it's going to prevail. So it, it is the super cycle. I don't think it's overhyped. You know, you get, a, of course, you get some scams and, and pump and dump and, you know, you get a, lot, a little, few blips but don't lose sight of the big transformational shift that's happening right now. So then let's talk about the thesis behind Fund One. Again, funds can choose to focus on specific verticals or choose to invest across the entire ecosystem. How did you come up with your thesis for Fund One and what is it? Yeah, so so my thesis really also is an extension of the type of venture fund that I wanted to create. So there are a lot of venture funds out there that I knew of that are operating, but very few were welcoming limited partners or external investors, right? Many of them were investing, quite frankly, their own assets. So there's a lot of wealth that has been generated within crypto industries, and um, many didn't need to raise capital. And so what I wanted to bring to the table was bringing investors who were not so familiar with crypto to be able to have an investment vehicle that ticks all the institutional boxes with third-party custodians and fund admin and all the sort of bells and whistles of an institutional-grade fund that primarily focuses on the needs of external investors. That sounds very normal to (laughs) anybody that's in VC and private equity, but for crypto, it's really just emerging to actually cater to traditional investors coming into the space. And that's where I wanted to position myself. So Fund One wanted to give these new investors that wanted that sort of all-in-one exposure a very diversified fund in terms of diversified across all the different themes in the crypto markets. So we're still at such an early stage that you can define the NFT and metaverse space and you can distinguish that from, for example, the DeFi space. And you can distinguish that from where blockchain meets traditional finance and sort of traditional financial services and how they're going to be disrupted by the technology. So I uh, wanted to come up with um, an all-in-one. So I have five verticals. And the first one is infrastructure. So that's identity management, that's Oracle solutions, you know, the real building blocks, that's layer ones, um, that they are still popping up, believe it or not. And then four other verticals, one is financial services, Uh, So that's really CFI or centralized finance, if you like. Then DeFi is the second vertical. The third vertical is NFTs and the metaverse. And the fourth one is social media and e-commerce. And both blockchain as an underlying technology and crypto is disrupting all of those verticals. As I say, it's it's a diversified fund and it also invests in both tokens and equity. So again, investors get exposure to both. And that was important, right? Because the space, it's not that one space is, one vertical is hot, one is not. They're all, there's so much building going on everywhere. And so I wanted to, to capture exposure to, to all of the building that's going on. And the fund is strategically positioned to really invest in companies in the greater Asia region. And I think that's also important to note as well, is that there's so much innovation that's going on in Hong Kong alone but also in areas surrounding Hong Kong. So talk about the innovation that you're seeing and why you chose to focus on the greater Asia region to start. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely a focus of the fund. And it's it's a combination of two elements. One, it's my natural network. You know, my whole crypto career has been based in Asia. And as a VC, your deal flow is very much an expression of your network. And, you know, while my network is global, it is primarily concentrated, if you like, in the Asia Pacific region. So that's that's one aspect in terms of as a venture capitalist, how am I adding value? How am I getting the best deals? It's it's being on the ground, being plugged in to all the um, Asian countries, Southeast Asia and, and Hong Kong. The second element is that crypto is booming in these markets. You know, no longer is technology and tech startups limited to Silicon Valley. It's not the center of the universe when it comes to crypto. Crypto and blockchain is a decentralized technology. It means you can work remotely. It means that startups are popping up all over the world. And because it's disrupting and being adopted in Asia the fastest, you're actually seeing a number of amazing deals over in this part of the world. So actually, it's it's a, it's a new shift in the way things are happening. And I would say that quite the contrary, a lot of the US VCs sort of feel like they need more exposure in Asia. There's this FOMO because, you know, a lot of these new crypto trends are, are starting in Asia and being adopted in Asia. You know, let's not forget Bitcoin was first adopted, that massive bull, initial bull market when we went up to 20K, that was through adoption in China. You know, it's a very naturally tech focused part of the world. And um, as a result, one of the main components of what's going to be a successful crypto business is, is building your network and, you know, gaining users quickly. And Asia is is perfect for that. Broadly speaking, if we look at your LP base, right, what's the reason why they're looking to allocate specifically to a fund like Token Bay Capital? You know, they have so many different ways that they can go about getting exposure in crypto. And I think you touched on this a little bit earlier as well. But, you know, why specifically your fund in the way that you are choosing to invest in crypto, right? This is a conversation sort of as an extension of your investment thesis focusing on five different verticals. What's been the pull for these guys? You know, I, I differentiate myself to to the other VCs. One, I'm I'm a smaller fund, and actually, that's no bad thing in this market. You know, I I am glad I'm not. <laughs> I don't have two billion to deploy because, quite frankly. That's going to be very challenging. You know, I'm sure they're going to do an amazing job, but that's huge sums of money to deploy. I'm a nimble fund. I'm focused in in Asia Pac. It's an extension of my network. And um, every VC is different because these different startups take on different VCs because of what the VC is bringing to the table. So because I bring a different skill set to maybe some of the US VCs, you know, I have a background in consulting and deals at PwC. And so that kind of profile, along with my traditional finance profile, is what I'm bringing to a startup. And that's what my brand, my personal brand, if you like, represents. So as a result, when investors are looking to invest in my fund, they're also buying into that value proposition that I represent, because it's something unique. It's at the moment, it's, it's pretty unique, and it's it differentiates me. And so there's also, I guess, a trust element, you know, if I've set up a fund to an institutional grade level, investors are nervous going into crypto. I mean, we all, if we're in the space and we're in the space 
100% of our time. We think it's completely normal. We only think in crypto. But actually, the rest of the world is not there yet. They still think that there's a lot of scams out there, you know, that they're not, they don't trust it 100% yet. So because I represent traditional finance, I represent PwC, and I've set up an institutional grade fund, that gives them more comfort to hand over their money that could be managed on a discretionary basis for them. That's what I'm finding is resonating with investors. Now, Lizzie, let's dig into the process of how you started and built Token Pay Capital. You've done a great job of helping us understand the big picture, what Token Pay Capital stands for, what you're looking for in companies, where your focus is within the ecosystem. But I think what's really interesting that you can provide actually for those listening in, some who might be aspiring venture investors, is some form of a play-by-play. Now, there isn't an exact manual for how to do any of this stuff, but I think we can uncover a few interesting tidbits that I think will be helpful insights to understand what does it take to get started in venture capital? After you committed to this idea of starting a fund, right? There was no name at that time, I imagine. What was the first thing that you went out and did? Well, the name is is a whole story in and of itself. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I have to, I do have to say that that very clear message I received made made it a simpler process. And I think you don't need to have a message like I got or it came to me so clearly. You just need utter conviction that this is what you're going to do. You know, I, I'm a startup founder as well, right? It's starting a business. And what you need, the biggest skill you need is the ability to see things through and to execute, because it's not going to be plain sailing. So yes, I knew that I wanted to do it. And that's a great starting point. But then you have to go out and you have to execute. I would say, don't overthink things. You can overthink things and worry about the design of your logo and your name for like six months. And I think a lot of people, that would resonate with a lot of people, right? You know, your name is important. It took me a week. That was difficult, actually, because you find that every domain name is taken under the sun. And to actually come up with a name is way harder than you could possibly imagine. So people should factor in at least three weeks for that. (laughs) I feel like there's something there. So so tell us about how Token Bay Capital got its name. I did want to shy away from the word crypto. So I thought block, block something. You know, I did every variation of block under the sun. You know, my, my thumbs were raw from Googling different things and it was all taken. And then I just sat back and I said, look, what do I believe in? And actually what I'd said about the space from day one is that I believe in the token economy. And the word token is less used than the word crypto or blockchain or coin. And I'm in the Greater Bay Area, which I really think there's a lot of potential for certain elements of blockchain technology there. And so I said, you know, I'm going to put those two words together. And lo and behold, no one else seemed to have come to that conclusion. So, you know, that was that was my first win to get Token Bay Capital. And I'm actually thrilled because the name really represents what I believe in and what the mission of the fund is. It's the new token economy and it's um, part of the Greater Bay Area. So that that was the name. That was the first thing. Actually, that was the first step because you need to have that. It's all visualization, right? You've got to see where your company is going. You've got to get your mission statement. You've got to know what you are working towards. And then the next steps is, is just day by day, right? You know, I said to myself, I want to set up an institutional grade structure. So that cut out any of these private investment clubs or any other ways that you can sort of go around 
essentially pooling capital to invest in deals. You don't have to do it the way I did it. Actually, the way I chose is probably the hardest and the most expensive route. But it's just about having conviction. That's what I wanted to build. And I have been licensed and regulated in London, in Singapore, and in Hong Kong. And I wanted to maintain that licensed approach. So the first step that I needed to figure out is how am I going to conduct regulated activity and um, who's going, who am I going to partner with for that? Am I going to wait a year and apply for my own license? Or am I going to partner with some of these incredible fund platforms that are out there that really go to support emerging fund managers and they take care of the risk and compliance? And you can be up and running with your deal flow, having raised capital very quickly to an institutional grade level. So that was a big win for me is finding that partner. And I found that partner in Hong Kong and the partnership has been absolutely phenomenal. They have been amazing. Funnily enough, the founder is ex-Goldman Sachs. So, you know, we, we, we tend to understand each other when it comes to sort of attention to detail and having good processes in place. And so, you know, you, you go from one meeting to the next and, and, it, and it starts falling into place. And, you know, you can go through a stretch of maybe a month where you feel you're not getting anywhere and then suddenly you find the right investment partner or you, you, you know, it, it just works. Um, so after that, you know, the main things to setting up a venture capital fund, nothing's going to happen if you don't have capital. And what I found the whole cat and mouse between raising capital, but also having deals, because your investors are not going to invest and, and, and uh, you know, put their hard earned money with you if they don't like the deals. And you can't get the deals if you don't have investors and money to invest. And so that initial launch is, is really quite challenging to juggle both those sides of the equation. But, you know, I did have investors that have have known me. Some of them have known me for many years. I think this is where if you build relationships through time and you've done a great job for managing money in a traditional way, they are ready to trust me with you know, investing in crypto markets. And then the deals and the startups were willing to invest in me and wait for me because I'd built a reputation and a network in the space of, of helping all these crypto businesses. You know, I'd spent three years dedicated to helping crypto businesses get off the ground. So again, you draw on those past relationships, that trust that you've built, and that's a much easier platform to go from. That all being said, it is still not, you know, the easiest thing in the world. It, it is quite challenging. There's one thing we're saying, sure, I'll fund your uh, fund and actually getting them to go through an 80 page limited partnership agreement, all the legality, you know, all the incredibly complex terminology, the onboarding process, the KYC, that's really rigorous in this day and age for them to get through all of that and still still be willing to to hand over, you know, a million US dollars or whatever it may be. You know, it, it's it's one thing saying it and another thing doing it. You know, you just have to stay resilient. And, and really, if you are absolutely convinced that this is the right path for you and the business you want to build, it makes all of the difficult moments easier, if you like. And what's the size of your fund, Lucy? So we're now in the tens of millions, which is exciting. You know, it's funny raising capital. It's kind of the, the traditional FOMO um, that goes on. You know, it's very slow to start. And then suddenly they realize that the deals you've invested in are suddenly sort of big household names. They're like, oh, you know, she invested in that a year ago. I was like, yeah, that's that's kind of the point. Um, and so it's great because you, you get traction and you get trust, right? But there's a there's a period of time where you have to prove yourself. So it's picking up momentum now, you know, looking to build out the team. You know, the portfolio is also performing really well. The wonderful thing about investing in crypto is that 
as compared to traditional VC investing, these companies are, are growing and getting valued at higher and higher levels much faster than we've typically seen before in, in even venture capital. So that's very exciting. And I think that is because this is a huge super cycle that we're in. So investors are realizing um, it, it's a good time to be investing. And any particular challenges, you know, surprises that have come your way that you didn't think was going to be related to starting up a fund, but you've had to deal with over the past year or so? Well, I didn't realize waking up in a cold sweat <laughs> was, was part of the, the journey. That was interesting. Fear, that incredible fear, you know, you just have to sort of sit through those moments and get through because, you know, there are some times where it can all be quite challenging moments. But I think every every founder has that, right? What didn't I expect? Do, do you know, I, I kind of was so set on, I visualize where I want to get to. So it hasn't been too bad. But yeah, they've been, it hasn't been one straight path. It's been a little bit of a winding road. But generally speaking, I think, you know, it's not been too bad. Everything I'm doing does make sense. And, you know, I think that that then works and people relate to that. Well, as we sit here, it's International Women's Month. So happy International Women's Month to you. There's so much that you're doing that we haven't already <laughs> talked about uh, for women in this space, specifically growing that community in Hong Kong called Women in Crypto. I'm sure you've been in, in touch with or coordinating multiple events. And so I wanted to get your take. How much has improved over the past year or so when it comes to getting more women in the space? And how much more do we have to go here to actually see not only senior leaders come in, but also foster emerging leaders as well, right? Emerging women leaders coming from fintech and tech and finance and all sorts of ancillary sectors into crypto. Topic close to my heart. So in terms of women in crypto in Hong Kong, that really started as a network. It was going to be based around drinks, but sadly, COVID made that really challenging. And I think as much as we all want to connect, everyone's so Zoomed out by the end of the day, the last thing they want to do is have a drink on a Zoom with everybody. And so that was a bit of a shame because I think natural networks don't overcomplicate it, meeting over drinks, exchanging stories, experiences, you know, just building a network in Hong Kong would have been great. So it was challenging to do that with COVID. That being said, it was a great experience because now I've reached out to, you know, what, what I'm beginning to see is a proliferation of many women in crypto movements. They've got different names that, that they're kind of everywhere, which is fantastic because, you know, it shows that there's such a desire to, to have representation, to make sure that a woman's voice is not left out of this huge transformational shift. So they're kind of popping up everywhere and all over the world, across Asia, even in Hong Kong, right, but also across the world. So I actually recently I've been reached out to by some incredible crypto, female crypto leaders in the US. And they said, hey, can you partner with us and be the Asia representative? So actually, you know, I can't announce anything yet, but I think we're going to fold into a bit more of a global alliance so that, you know, crypto is so global as well. So stay tuned for that. But I'm working on really sort of merging women in crypto Hong Kong into a more global movement for, for women. So so that's one thing, it, it, a network. And also when I first started that group, there were very few women in all the crypto businesses. They were very much a lone voice. You know, it's not that there was sort of 
even 10% of a crypto business that's female. It's You're lucky. I don't even know if they make 1% cut, right? So, you know, everybody likes to be around similar people to some degree, right? Because you relate and it's a, just a diverse workforce. So again, having women in crypto is a way for women to just have people to talk to and share experiences with is quite important. I think the reason why there are all these women in crypto groups popping up is because we do not want to replicate what we saw in traditional finance in the early days. Hedge funds were predominantly male. The banks were predominantly male. And there was this male culture. And it was very, but by the time it was, it became so entrenched by the heyday of the investment banking days you know, now you wouldn't really get away with it, but it was really discriminating against women to an unbelievable degree in traditional finance. And we don't want the same thing to happen in crypto. You know, crypto is bringing a new philosophy to the world. It's um, democratizing access to finance. It's all about empowering the individual, whether you're male, female, black, white, whatever you are, we are all being empowered as individuals. That's a really strong message. And it should be open to everybody. And everybody needs to understand the opportunity and women included. I'd say what we're seeing in the build out of crypto infrastructure, I don't think there's been any formal studies, but I suspect from my observation that it's primarily being built by developers or coders that are male. But the whole build out of the crypto ecosystem is not just about coding smart contracts, right? It's way bigger than that. There's a role for everybody. And we're moving towards um, a crypto world where whatever your skill set, you can find a place for it and you can be directly rewarded for your contribution, for your participation. You know, we're seeing this play to earn, all, all these different ways to really you're not even being paid to be in the crypto ecosystem. You're you're earning for your, you're being rewarded for, for your participation. So that's really important to get across for, for everyone and realize that there are no barriers to entry. And I do, I do feel encouraged, you know, your third part of the question, where are we? I think actually it's probably better than we think because there are no barriers to entry. You can just download a digital wallet. I think NFTs did a great job of bringing all sorts of people into the crypto universe and not just sort of male DeFi participants, right? So financial services may resonate more with males. But then NFTs came along and it's the much more creative aspect to crypto. And so that was a lot more welcoming, if you like, for everybody, women included. So I think that's been a really great trend to get to drive crypto adoption with females as well. And I think as it's going into the mainstream, and you're seeing Bitcoin, Ethereum as just two standard asset classes now, everybody's realizing that you can just go in and start start investing. And the wonderful thing about crypto is that you only need to take one small step, one tiny step. And once you just go and say, okay, I'm going to buy $50 of Bitcoin, that's all you need to do. That process will open up the whole world to you way faster than you could even imagine. So I would encourage anybody, men, women, everybody, just take a small step and you'll realize how quickly you're sucked into the crypto vortex. But no, it's incredible. So I do think women are waking up to it. And actually, I read a recent report and it said there are more women holding crypto than, than we realize. And the stats aren't out there, right? Because it's not like bank accounts where you can aggregate exactly who, what is the demographic of your customer base. 
actually there's no real surveys out there showing how many women are downloading digital wallets and, and getting involved. And so hopefully it will be pleasantly surprised. Well, as I say, you don't leave a conversation about crypto with Lucy without getting inspired. And I so enjoyed getting to learn about your story. Well, I already know a lot about it, but uh, having to share your story with our listeners across the globe, understanding what it takes to start a venture fund, knowing that it's not a linear process and it's, you know, different for everyone. Lucy, thank you so much for hopping on Crypto and Stack. This has been a long time coming and I'm so glad we got to do this today. Thank you so much, Leslie. Just so much fun. Really, truly. (laughs) 